Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed, not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear holocaust. No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors, some of the wrong ones too. I have to start looking at the world in a new way. And try to understand it. Feel it. Today's episode breaks the rules a bit in that my guests and I aren't discussing a horror film. Rather, we're taking a look at last summer's biggest and only real sci-fi blockbuster movie to be released, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, in which a CIA agent played by John David Washington is recruited by a mysterious organization known as Tenant and sets out to attempt to prevent events that will cause World War III. Though within the world of Tenant, the laws of time bend the laws of nature in a manner that could have unforeseen consequences. And joining me to make sense of the pretzel-binding time travel of Tenant is returning friend of the show, Alex. Alex, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about Tenant today. Um, I barely know where to even begin with this movie because it's just <laughs> such a wide spectrum in terms of just like the stylistic things that Nolan does in this in addition to like the type of story that he's trying to tell. So I guess the only place to really start is like, I guess, how hyped were you for this uh, Nolan movie? I mean, man, this was announced back in like, it was either like 2017 or 28. It was like right after Dunkirk came out. And like, you know, I'm like a big time Nolan stan. And I was just, you know, I was like, okay, this is kind of his return to like form with like an inception type brain bender, right? And my hype levels couldn't be, couldn't have been higher. And uh, I mean, it, it just like kept on getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, then it finally came out and it had that botched release and everything. And then, you know, finally came out. So, you know, everyone could watch it. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, in a perfect world, um, which obviously we don't live in right now, um, <laughs> we would have got to see this in a packed theater with, you know, an IMAX and all its grand spectacle. But um, we'll get into, you know, my thoughts on it. I'm sure you have plenty of them too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is one of those movies that it felt like it was almost like a chore to be able to see it. And by the yeah. time that I finally got to see it, like I was so hyped for it. And then there was kind of like that dip where I was like, the first trailer really grabbed me. And it's this thing where it's like, I barely know what to expect from it. Like you can barely mm -hmm. decipher that initial trailer, but you know that it is very kind of polarizing and it's very sort of evocative of his style. But at the same time, it, it feels like something you haven't seen before to the point yeah. that you almost don't really understand what's happening in the trailer when it's playing out. And then of course, when it was almost time to go see it, we had a delayed or it wasn't in certain theaters and it was yeah. kind of like a chore, like I said. So it's very interesting, this kind of trajectory the movie has taken in actually getting to see it. And it's one of the few instances where it's like, yeah, you can say for a lot of movies, oh, does it live up to the hype? But I almost feel like there was no way for this to live up to the hype to a certain degree yeah. just because of like the dips that it took in terms of like the road to actually getting to watch it. But um, I was kind of pleased in terms of like Nolan's exploring uh, the passage, his use of like time, right? We've seen that in Memento. We saw it in Dunkirk. We saw it in Interstellar. And this was very different, but it was still sort of within his exploration of time. It was more of kind of the physical action side of time rather than using time as just a storytelling narrative in a way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it obviously is just a very inventive, uh, you know, way to tell a story. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later, but there's just a very clear and, you know, not subtle turning point in the movie that, you know, it kind of is this like, Oh damn moment. Like where, you know, literally, 
turns it on its head. And that was kind of where things kicked into hyperdrive for me. Um, you know, we could talk about, you know, how things built up and, you know, characters and plot points and stuff, but just as like a general idea, I mean, like I was hooked on it from the first time I saw it. Um, you know, you were talking about the hype before, uh, the hype for me, this is when I knew my hype was at like DEFCON five levels was, um, when the rise of Skywalker came out and this was like the last movie I saw before COVID hit, um, I was more excited. I went like uh, I was on a job site and I had to drive like half an hour to a movie theater and uh, to go see it in an IMAX theater. And I specifically saw it in an IMAX theater because I was more excited to see the Tenet prologue than it was the, the final chapter of the Skywalker story. <laughs> yeah, I think that it, I would have loved to have been able to see this movie the way that Nolan wanted it yeah. to. I mean, granted, getting to watch it at home on my 55 inch TV, like is not, yeah. is not the t worst uh, follow-up, but I mean, or concession rather, but I think that that really is, it speaks to the Christopher Nolan kind of experience, but also Tenant as a whole. Yeah. I think Tenant is, it's probably his most action-packed movie that he's made in the last few years. I mean, definitely, well, I don't know, comparing that to uh, Dunkirk, but um, just in terms of like, the set pieces that he's able to create, but then also the way that time plays into literally how the action unfolds um, in a way that I think definitely capitalizes on that more than the narrative, but just in terms of like the overall concept of inversion and this kind of like very far out abstract concept that is, before we get too much into like our thoughts on how it actually plays out, I mean, it's a little convoluted, but as a whole, how do you think he was able to uh, kind of like adapt this super brainy time concept to the action itself? I mean, like when you're talking about applying it to the action, right? I mean, it starts out with that that incredible intro. And that's what, when I was talking about the prologue before, is literally the first, um, like the first 10 minutes of the movie when they're in the opera house and they go in and they're just, you know, you don't know what it is. They're saying weird things. You know, we live in a twilight world, everything. And then all of a sudden bullets are going backwards, loading into the guns and they're throwing people in, you don't know. And you're like, okay, I'm definitely watching a Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> like, it's just that kind of like hit you hard, um, you know, opening intro kind of reminiscent of like the dark Knight, Right. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Like I've, I've, I, I've bought in, I'm in. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say the first act of the movie, it starts out with a bang, literally, because there's a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have some issues with the plot points and everything um, and how convoluted it is. Um, but just, like, in terms of a concept, I loved it. It's, it's a fun movie. Uh, you know, I was talking with you before it's a fun mess of a movie right <laughs> and that's i think the best way to to describe it yeah i would definitely agree with that but also i think the opera house opening is very reminiscent of kind of like nolan's style right he's able to portray yeah. these very kind of just grounded large action set pieces where there's chaos unfolding but then it's still very precise it never feels completely foreign even though yeah. the movie deals with these concepts that the further it gets into them, it's probably gets too messy for its own good and it's very kind of abstract. But he's able to really insert us into this world in a way that we're at least able to approach the conversation of inversion and these kind of mm. crazy concepts that he comes up with. And I think that to his credit, like it's a perfect opening for this kind of movie. It gives yeah. you something that's just familiar enough where you have this massive shootout that's going on and you have these kind of like strange... Uh, code words that are being used that you don't really understand and then of course you're in, introduced to uh, inversion where the bullet yeah. is being caught essentially yeah. and I think that's the best introduction to this world because if he leans too hard into this kind of far out concept yeah. he almost loses you before the movie begins and mm -hmm. I mean that's um, that's aided by like the title screen not being in the movie for I think yeah. the title card drops like the first 10 minutes of the movie and mm -hmm. it's like by the time the title card drops he fully pushes us into this kind of just like, okay, yeah. it's a spy movie, it's an action movie, but then 
there's a ton of shit that I do not understand. But yeah. <laughs> the world itself is somewhat yeah. similar to something that I've seen before. So I'm at yeah. least ready for this conversation. Whether yeah. it ends up being a super like worthwhile conversation, yeah. that remains to be seen. Uh, the further you get into the movie, <laughs> that was honestly one of my favorite like opening scenes to a uh, to a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and then, of course, right after that, you know, same thing happens in Inception, same thing happens in Dark Knight. And of course, you get the, the classic Christopher Nolan exposition scene um, where they have to explain every plot device of the movie um, when, you know, they're in the basement of whatever that place was after he gets off the boat. And, you know, they're like, you're catching the bullet, you're doing all that, you know, of course, now it's like, OK, now he's going to explain it. Or I like to see a little more, you know, show and tell, maybe get more into you know, more of what we saw in the first scene, you know, learn it on the fly, right? A little more show than tell. Um, that's That's been like kind of my minor qualms with, you know, his movies in the past. Um, I think that's very obvious to anyone who's watched his movies, but you know, yes. when you have such a good concept, sometimes you have to use that, right? Um, you know, and then, you know, you get your, your classic, uh, you know, MacGuffins and stuff and <laughs> Christopher Nolan movies. Um, you know, then you go on to India, right? And they're with uh, Priya, who's the, the arms dealer. And you're kind of like, okay, who, who are all these people? Where are we going? And start to build it up, um, you know? And uh, those are the kind of things I have uh, that detract a little bit from the movie, just kind of, who are these people? Why do I care about them? <laughs> right. Yeah. The, he gets a little lost in kind of crafting this espionage story, right? Yeah. Like he hits a lot of the kind of bullet points that you want in a spy movie, right? It's where it's it's displaying all these kind of like larger than life set pieces that are all over the world and the globe. You're meeting yeah. all these kind of like international players in this secret society kind of shadow world that people are living in. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we jump around so much that a lot of the characters that we're introduced to, they're not really fully developed. Like yeah. when John David Washington's character, the protagonist is learning about inversion and this idea that like certain actions are these items, especially like bullets and things like that, which mm -hmm. is his first introduction. They've been inverted basically. So they're from the future. So they move backwards essentially. Um, and like he's meeting this one woman that is associated with Tenant, which is the shadow organization that recruits him basically once his yeah. CIA operation goes to shit. But then we don't really know anything else about that character. We leave her behind. We don't see her for the rest of the movie. Then we have Priya, who is the arms dealer that basically makes him aware that like you have to find this guy, Sater, yeah. who's just another arms dealer who's like the broker between the future in the past and trying to figure out why people in the future are inverting things and sending them back and this whole kind of like conspiracy, but you're jumping between all these people and yet, and they're referenced later in the movie, but they never feel like they serve any purpose greater than like, Hey, do you know what this thing is? And he's yeah. like, no. Okay. Well, let me tell you, like, like you yeah. had mentioned, that is the setup for probably like 85% of the dialogue in this movie. Yeah. And it, it really stood out to me again on a rewatch because I, I saw this twice yep. and um, that w stood out a lot more than it should have on a rewatch. Yeah, it, it, it seems like he's got this awesome idea instead of just making his characters and, you know, your, your sympathy for the characters and everything, like build more naturally. Like you look at a movie like Interstellar, I feel like you can connect with the characters more on that because it's just, it feels like it's building with the story. This one just feels like the story's there and then you built the characters around it, right? Right, exactly. And, uh, you, you know, it's kind of tough to like feel sympathy for him because you're like, well, I don't even know his name. He's just the protagonist. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, his character's also not that, again, this kind of comes back to my one qualm with the film and that's kind of the writing. Like his character is not that interesting. No, and not at all. for somebody who is literally the protagonist of the film, he's called that in addition yeah. to being the protagonist. Like, we're not given a lot of reasons to care about him yeah. other than he is the protagonist. Yeah. And he's just, he, he's essentially just a, there to move along the plot. It's kind of like, he's a you know, vessel. The, yeah, the side characters are, are the people you're interested in. And it's like, it's like, he's like the Jerry Seinfeld of the movie, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, on the rewatch, I was able to appreciate a lot more John David Washington's um, 
the physicality of his performance yeah. and like getting to learn about how he was doing the majority of his stunts and all this stuff and how complex it was mm -hmm. and the training. But in terms of like him conveying a character that you actually care about on some emotional level, like it's yeah. just never there to the point that it almost lets Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson's character, uh, Neil shine more because yeah. you actually like get the sense that his character is like a real person living in this world. Like yeah. he serves a purpose other than just pushing along a plot device basically. And now for a brief intermission. If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. Yeah, and when Neil is introduced, like, you, you kind of, I feel like you kind of attach more to him, even though you don't really know much about him, but that's kind of the point, is that you start to learn things about him. It's like, you know, starting to be a little shifty and shady and not letting uh, the rest of the characters know, you know, what his true intentions are, right? Um, and I did like that. It was like, I'm more interested to find out about him than the protagonist or, you know, the other characters in the movie. It's like, you know, it, it, I, I just felt like he was the person I was drawn to, right? And I think he kind of stole the show in this movie. I think he was by far the best, uh, best performance in this. Um, and like I said before, we were talking uh, a few months ago when I saw it and I'm like, yeah, I think uh, Robert Pattinson should be the next James Bond. And I think you kind of were like, yeah, okay. And then you probably watch and you're like, yeah, I, I see that yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I think like, especially that first introduction between their two characters when they meet in that Bombay club, just a lot of his just like little mannerisms, like mm -hmm. you can tell that he is a guy that has been living in this world for a while rather yeah. than somebody that's kind of just been dropped into the world. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like he has any kind of like long swaths of dialogue or anything like that, but it's more just like his mannerisms, how he carries himself. And I think he can sell that kind of like chipper humor yeah. better than John David Washington can, because John David Washington has a couple of lines in this movie where it's like supposed to be humor, but then it kind of just like eh, falls, falls flat, flat for me every yeah. time. And it's like, mm, I'm seeing yeah. uh, Neil as James Bond a little bit more based on just like <laughs> how he's able to blend in the humor and being a smart yeah. ass and being a drinker but then at the same time like when it comes down to it he's up for whatever yeah. comes next yeah that was uh one of my like favorite little tidbits on like rewatch was uh when they're first at the when they're in bombay and uh he asked for his drink order and he's like oh he'll have a diet coke right because yeah. <laughs> he already knows his order and you're like wait a second like why does he know that and he's like i never drink at the job he's like yeah i know <laughs> At the first time I saw it, I was like, he's a, he's a little too familiar right now. But then yeah. on the rewatch, you're just like, oh, okay. I now see what it makes was sense. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that helps. Uh, you can pick a lot of things up on second rewatch. And I was like, one of them, it's like, okay, now I know why he's saying that. <laughs> like, so that was one of my questions that I had for, that I wanted to ask you was, did you find it distracting the first time you watched the movie? Because the first time I watched it, I found it to be so distracting the way that the inversion plays out in the action scenes because obviously the whole appeal of the movie is like what sets it apart from other action and other in other action movies is seeing action play backwards while another character is playing out forwards obviously or in normal time normal speed um i found myself when i was watching it the first time to try to like piece together where the starting point was for the action that was happening in reverse like yep. I was trying to anticipate what had happened previously. Yeah. And then I almost felt like I was distracted trying to think about that. And then I was like, oh shit, I just missed something that happened. Yeah. I don't know. Did you have an experience like that? That was kind of like me too. I mean, I was just trying to like follow along with the plot. There are so many people. I'm like, how does this connect to this? How does that connect to that? Kind of in the end, it's, it's kind of just like kind of plot points thrown together. And it doesn't yeah. really matter in the end, as long as like you're having fun on like, the roller coaster yes. and like on the second rewatch i was just kind of like okay i understand this i was picking up more things and i'm like you know what now i kind of just know like the basis of the story i'm just gonna sit on this ride you know grip on and just let myself go over the humps now right um and i wish i i wish i had that the first the first way that i had it or the first time that i saw it is that i just let myself go on the roller coaster instead i was kind of like trying to piece it together and everything um once you understand where the movie's going, you can kind of enjoy that, that first half a little more, just kind of looks at tidbits. Know that, you know, the plot's just 
Fox is there to move along the action, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's funny on a rewatch. I was like, oh, okay, so this is just like awesome action set pieces that are sort of like loosely uh, connected to one another through like a story that is more convoluted than it needs to be. It's almost yeah. like, I mean, the whenever I watch a movie that deals with time travel that tries to like explain it down to like the bare bones of how this works, it makes me think of uh, Looper. Did you ever see that yeah. movie? Yeah. yeah, they have that scene where uh, old Joe and uh, and young Joe are in the diner mm -hmm. and young Joe like wants to know how time travel works. And old Joe is like, listen, I don't really care how time travel works. If we start talking about it, we're going to be here all day talking about yeah. it. And it's like that has always been the perfect example for me. Yeah. <laughs> how directors should treat time travel, because at the yeah. end of the day, I personally don't give a fuck. How yeah, it no one works. cares about the semantics. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares about the semantics. I'm more interested in how they're able to convey that in like an interesting way in terms of the story or how they're able to apply that to action like Tenet does because at the end of the day like my first viewing I was definitely annoyed that they kept like well I guess on my rewatch I was annoyed by how often it shifts back to this narrative that honestly does not hold up very well and it almost interferes with the action yeah. in a way that like not everybody is going to watch a two and a half hour movie twice yeah. like not everybody is like us and so or has the time or whatever. So it's like, I had a better, I enjoyed the movie more on a rewatch in terms of like enjoying the action and not trying to connect the dots because at the end of the day, I realized like the dots don't really fucking matter how they're connected yeah. or I'm not going to walk away with like a better appreciation for the story when yeah. that's I, that's probably the weakest part of the entire yeah. thing for me. And and like, I kind of think that can in inception and like, if you think of that movie, steals with similar concepts of you know time and everything and you know layers and all that it's that was also kind of just grabbing on and doing the roller coaster but i feel like the story never got in the way right exactly it was there right. but it wasn't distracting it was like you know it, it, it was there to serve a purpose but it never really like distracted you from what you were seeing right and here i felt like the the story definitely distracted me from the action right um and i think once i watched it the second time and i'm like okay you know what i don't i don't really care what you know sator was doing in the 80s when he was shuffling metal pieces that all combine into this you know device that i still don't know what it does but <laughs> i'm just like you know what there's just stuff um let's just watch the action yeah no, I think that was a great point comparing it to Inception because Inception was another one of these kind of like out of the box concepts yeah. in terms of just like layers and layers and layers and layers within a dream and how time changes at each level of the dream. And I think that that was handled much better. Like you said, it never really distracts from the action or anything. But I mean, this will be my last kind of rant about the writing in this movie because yeah. in rewatch, it does not hold up at no. all for me. <laughs> but I at least think that Inception, whether at the time you were fully able to grasp like the main concept, the writing was still of a level that it was engaging, it was fun, it was playful, and then it had its like serious moments. And it didn't have, I don't personally remember it having a ton of like melodramatic moments. Whereas I feel like Tenant is all melodramatic moments yeah. between characters and like just everybody feels like a caricature yeah. that you would expect from like, yeah. just like, a bad movie like that? I don't know. I, I have one example in particular. <laughs> I think you know what I'm going to say, but um, I don't know. If maybe when we get later in the movie, I'll I'll, I'll talk about it. Or I can say it right now, but <laughs> no. Let's let's dive into some bad dialogue. When they're and then talking we'll about, the you know, this is the end of the world, and it's, you know, um, she. What does she say? She says, um, "Oh, and my son," or something like. When she's, yeah, I, I forget what the actual quote was, but it's when they're in the, uh, like the ambulance or whatever, she's like covered in the, in the heat blanket. <laughs> she's just like, and my son won't be there or something like, yeah, lady, she j he just said the end of the world is happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just like, I, I, I almost had to like hold in my laugh there when I saw it the first time. I'm like, okay, like I shouldn't be laughing, but like that was a laughably bad line of dialogue. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just speaks to like the extremes that all of the characters speak in, right? Or it's just like their complete inability to grasp what, it, what the 
seriousness of what is happening, right? Like at one point when he uh, meets with the woman that teaches him like about inversion and inverted items, what does he say? He says, uh, nuclear holocaust, basically. Like, (laughs) is that what's going to end the world? And she's like, no, something worse. And I was like, nuclear holocaust, uh, pretty sure that would end the world world, as we know. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, well, we're getting into semantics about like what the end of the world is going to yeah. look like, like little things like that. Or, I think World War Three would probably be less deadly than nuclear holocaust, to be honest. <laughs> my favorite, though, was Neil. Uh, Neil goes, time isn't the problem. Getting out alive is the problem. Mm. When they're talking about like their uh, their Mumbai job and taking out that arms yeah. dealer, like just like little moments like that. It's like this does not seem like it. The script <laughs> is not indicative of somebody that is on what their 10th feature film yeah. or something to that extent. I think he could, um, Christopher Nolan could probably benefit from having a co-writer. Like he can do yes. story and everything, but like maybe have just someone like check over the dialogue. You know, that's a good that's a good point. If I'm not mistaken, his brother has been a co-writer on a lot of his projects, yeah. and I don't believe that his brother co-wrote this with him. Yeah, I know that. Um, Who is it? Is it David Goyer? I think he's been he's done like like story like he's done the story with Christopher Nolan I don't know if he's done that but like he like co-did the story for like Dark Knight right um so maybe someone just said kind of like keep him in check right you know maybe someone could have kept uh George Lucas in check during the prequels maybe maybe he just needs someone to be like hey Chris you know wink wink nudge nudge uh you know maybe try doing this right just take just taking one more pass at that uh, yeah that exactly. dialogue um, ten, 10 examples of that. Yeah. But I mean, nothing in dialogue though. And like just kind of some weird plot points that just need, didn't need to be there. I still don't really understand the, the, the whole point of why. So, you know, I get, he had cancer and everything, Sator and he had cancer and, and everything, but like him just like digging into a pile of like, I think it was like radioactive rubble and finding this thing that was it. I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's whatever. It's a plot point to advance it. <laughs> I'm not putting too much stock in it. At the end of the day, though, I think after a rewatch, that's what annoyed me about how convoluted the story is and everything, because it's so simplistic. But the way that he decides to tell the story, the twists and bends, and when he chooses that flashbacks and when he doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because yeah. the story itself is not the highlight of the film. And I think now would be a great time just to get into some of the action scenes that we love yeah. in the film because that is what plenty. makes Tenet. <laughs> and there are plenty. And no matter how hard he tries to uh, to get in the way of them with uh, convoluted dialogue and yeah. plot points. Um, yeah, but I mean, this is really where Tenet's concept of inversion really shines, right? Oh, this idea the action that, scenes. Yeah, in the set you pieces. See, yeah. So what is uh, what are some of your like favorite action set pieces from this? Okay, I mean, my favorite. I mean, I love the opening scene. I think it's great. Also, just side note, uh, Ludwig Göransson's uh, soundtrack kicks ass. Like it kicks an enormous amount of ass in this movie. Um, an I absolute was, banger. Yeah, I was like, you know what? This is, I've been listening to the soundtrack like on the train, like going back and forth, and I'm just like, I'm like, you know what? Uh, this this soundtrack ripped. <laughs> I've been listening to it all week while I was yeah. like rewatching it and then like doing notes on this and research and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's absolute yeah. uh, all time score. And I think it's really interesting too, because it almost, cause I didn't realize that it wasn't Hans Zimmer until after I rewatched it. Yeah. It definitely takes a lot of, uh, a lot of inspiration from him, but also gives his own twist to it. It's very electronic, very like, Oh man, it's just so good though. Like it's just like it gives you like goosebumps on the back of your neck. Um, I there's there's one in particular um, in the uh, obviously the hallway scene when he comes back in time. So like you see it, you know, and and I I watched this like behind the scenes featurette that their stuntman. So it was John David Washington. He usually did most of his own stunts. Um, and then, you know, the stuntman who was doing, you know, the person in the, uh, in the suit and he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done <laughs> anything like this. And he's just like, you got to do all these in, in reverse. And he's like contorting his body in ways that he's never done. And, Cause that was all done in frame, right? That wasn't yeah. like CGI or anything. Those are them doing reverse <laughs> moves. And, uh, 
yeah, that hallway scene was, was incredible. It was it was great the first time, but then when you realize what's going on and you know that it's, you know, the protagonist coming back in time, you're just like, oh, shit, this is great. Yeah, I, I think that that is probably the my favorite action scene just because, like, I mean, I watched the behind-the-scenes thing where he's like, yeah, nobody's ever had to learn how to throw, like, an inverted punch or a reverse yeah. punch, right? And then getting to see them kind of, like, choreograph that entire thing and when you realize like hey this is them actually doing the movements in reverse and it's all in frame i mean it's probably one of the most amazing action sequences i've seen in the last like five five or ten years or something like that just because you realize that like oh no they're doing this for real that's not Mm -hmm. kind of like editing tricks to make this seem the way they want it to be but then also i mean on a rewatch i was obviously excited to get to see that again but also thinking ahead to the fact that, oh, I'm going to get to see this play out the other way once he goes through yeah. the turnstile later in the movie. And you're like, yeah. you get to that point where they're going to go back and t- reverse in time. And you're like, are they really about to reverse in time? And For it's the, one of those things back where... Back to the movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. And to his credit, like that could have been a huge mistake, right? Yeah. You could have had the audience... If he didn't actually like fully commit to recreating the other side of those fight scenes and the action that takes place, you could be like, oh, cool, I get to sit through half of the movie. But it never feels like that because of how much dedication they have to pulling the action off in this uh, insane concept. Yeah. Um, That was like when that turnstile scene happened and like he goes back through and I and you realize you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to see this whole movie like from the other side in reverse. And you're, it's just like this, holy crap moment. You're just like, okay, now I'm now I'm in. Like, buckle up, boys and girls. Like, <laughs> I, I'm in. I, like, I'm in. And I, I feel on my first watch, this is where, like, I was, to be honest, I was a little bored in the first part of the movie, uh, my first rewatch. And uh, and then once that, that turnstile scene happened, I knew what was being set up and how the rest of the movie was going to play out. It was just like a, oh my goodness moment. And like when he walks out and he's like stepping in the puddles and it's like soaking up into his shoe. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in. And then they're driving and he's like trying to figure out how to, how to navigate the car, uh, driving inverted. And you, and you realize that like, you know, things that you saw before and things you see in like, you know, when you're watching the, the pre-release stuff, like the trailers and the commercials and everything and you're like oh yeah they only showed us snippets from the beginning of the right. movie like we're seeing like he's driving that car or yeah. that's him fighting like that's the, that's that's neil like that's it's, it's just like all these things and it's just like oh my god and that's like when you watch it the second time it makes it makes the first part of the movie more interesting because you pick up on these things and uh that's why i think this movie definitely warrants two watches because each each experience was like vastly different, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that it's a testament again to like how I didn't appreciate how good the marketing was for this before I actually saw the movie. Because really, the trailers they don't spoil anything, and it's like without getting on a soapbox now. I mean, trailers these days they have a tendency to tell you far too much. But oh, absolutely. I went into the movie and I was I was very I intrigued I was know by a lot the, of it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I was intrigued by the trailers. And then the film was able to begin to kind of like fill in those blanks Mm -hmm. and especially like on a second watch, getting to understand more and kind of like almost being more observant in the Mm -hmm. background to trying to pick out certain things. And again, like the trailer doesn't spoil anything. Like when you see the turnstile in the trailer, you're like, what the hell is this all about? Like who knows what that is, right? Yeah, exactly. And in the end of the day, like, yeah, it's a machine that lets you go back in time basically. But it's so captivating the imagery in that and then to see the action play out around that in a way that is unlike anything you've seen and i think that that is like in the making of that i watched all the actors are saying this is action like you've never seen it before Mm -hmm. and that's like that's very clearly yeah but that's the thing like it actually is i mean how many action movies or whatever war movies do actors say that you've never seen anything like this before but in tenant it actually is the way that Mm -hmm. that concept plays out in the action and i mean the highway scene is probably the oh, best example okay. of that, right? Yeah. It plays out like this kind of, it has the beginnings of a traditional heist scene, but then 
of course, when we see it the reverse, we yeah. see cars driving backwards, yeah, you see flipping it get backwards. through the car and everything. You're like, oh, that's what happened. And like, oh. <laughs> and that was the most fun part about the second half of the film when you're going backwards, basically, and like, quote unquote, rewatching things, but you're experiencing them in a completely different way. And mm -hmm. it's just as entertaining as the first part of the film in terms of like seeing that unfold one way, which I mean, yeah, this movie, I don't think gets enough credit for that in terms of just it, like yeah. how big of a gamble that is. And it, he has the ultimate payoff, yeah. in, like actually succeeding at what he set out to do. I mean, if you separate just like all of the unnecessary plot stuff from like the action and just mm -hmm. co high concept, I mean, it's a verse whatever <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it's yeah i'm not gonna give that a grade, but it's uh, man the, like when you're when you sit in the roller coaster and you just let yourself be guided by the action of this movie it is top notch and i've seen it three times now and it's still like fun watching that highway chase it's still fun watching him step out and seeing the water suck into his shoe um you know, it's still fun watching that last uh, that last scene too with the the temporal pincer, right? Is that what's called temporal pincer. Yeah, temp temporal pincer movement. Yep. Yeah. Uh, still, still, <laughs> that 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 part of the plot is still uh, well, well convoluted. But um, when you see that, they're like, okay, we're gonna pinch on this one point, and we're gonna have one team going in forwards through time, the other backwards. Um, also just a quick, um, you know, shout out, uh, pour one out for our homie who got stuck in the wall when the wall got sucked <laughs> back in. <laughs> That's probably one of my favorite moments of that whole scene. Cause I, I actually don't enjoy that scene that much just because I feel like they There's don't a lot do going a good on. enough. Yeah. They don't really do a great job of kind of like capturing the importance of the temporal pencil yeah. movement, considering how long that scene is. I do think that scene that you mentioned is a great example of like him taking the inversion and then applying it to like this very isolated moment yeah. in this massive battle. Um, and I, I kind of wanted more moments like that. Like when they, yeah. um, when the inverted and the regular forces are coordinating to like knock down a building that has yeah, like that a sniper very in it cool. or something. That was very cool. I like that, but I wanted five more moments like that yeah. rather than it was a firefight. It was, it, was, it was call of duty war zone, right? There's just, with some people moving in reverse, right? They're holding their seasick backwards. <laughs> it was like 10 minutes of B-roll of like people yeah. just like playing war. And it's like, okay, exactly. I wanted more of you actually using the interesting part of yeah. the action in these movies. It would have been cool if it was just like a, uh, like it was a couple of like, you know, spec ops squads going in, right? Instead of like a big war, like it was like, like two teams of 10 going in and like under the darkness of, or under the cover of darkness going in at night like that would have been cool and they're all trying to like coordinate i feel like that maybe like would have made that last scene uh, a little bit cooler because now it's just like explosions and stuff which is kind of like uncharacteristically like not christopher nolan either like it seemed very like cgi'd and everything and i'm like it doesn't really seem like him like this doesn't seem like a christopher nolan-esque end scene i don't know if that was the same thing with you but it just seemed very like it seemed like a um if you ever watched like a like a dc movie where like the story's okay but then like the end is just like cgi like throw it everywhere at the end like that i don't know it just seemed very like it just the resolution just ended right yeah it end it ends pretty flat and i think it's interesting comparing the ending of this movie to where he's at in his career, because I think he's, when he's succeeded the best at his films, it's been small scale. And yeah. I mean, I personally didn't really enjoy Dunkirk that much. And Dunkirk is, I would, I would say it's probably like his largest scale film yeah. before Tenant. And this ending felt very reminiscent of Dunkirk in terms of capturing that scale. Mm -hmm. And I would have much rather preferred a finale that was similar to uh, Inception where Inception, they have like that ski mountain uh, assault that's like yeah. part firefight, but part stealth. But it's still, it's almost like a medium scale. It doesn't feel exactly. like it's an army fighting or it doesn't feel like it's two people fighting. Yeah. And I think had they lowered the scale a little bit and captured something like that, it would have succeeded in a way or it would have let the action pop a little bit more and have more kind of like just detailed moments that use the inversion stuff in an interesting way yeah. rather than 
like 10 minutes of guys just like aiming randomly and running and like spraying and praying. And that kind of is where the, the ending falls really bland mm-hmm. and flat for me. Um, I did like that kind of like moment between Neil and the yeah. protagonist where you realize like the twist, like, yeah, they're two buddies that one of them is seeing this as the end of a friendship. The other one's seeing it as a beginning. I do tell. But I think they needed more moments like that. Yeah. The emotional hit, like there's supposed to be an emotional moment, right? And it just didn't like land as that emotion because like they didn't build up the characters. You don't have like the, you don't have the sympathy for them. You can't connect with them as much because one of them, you don't even know their name or what they're doing, right? Um, you know, and, and it's just like, I feel like if they built that up a little more, maybe you'd feel a little more for that. Um, but, you know, I did like that moment. Um, I felt more for Neil than anything because, like, that's the character you can kind of, like, feel more with. And then once you realize that, like, he's known him his whole life, right? And then it kind of hits a little more, but, like, connecting with the protagonist, I was kind of like, I don't really know much about him, man. <laughs> like,. <laughs> You don't have any reason to be invested in him other than he is the protagonist and also mm-hmm. happens to, his name happens to be the protagonist. But yeah, Neil, I mean, in that moment, he's so selfless, right? Because he sacrifices himself yeah, and exactly. then he's like, hey, I have to go back into the fray. Otherwise, yeah. we're not going to be here or had this conversation however many times yeah. we've had it. And I don't know that they needed to like spoil it earlier in the film, but they needed yeah. to have more that emotional he cares engagement. For him, like, because he's yeah. known him his whole life because he's come back through, right? And, like, I feel like if you knew, like, how much he cared for him as a friend, like, it's just, like, it's a, you don't really get that until the end. And then you're like, oh, they've been friends the whole time. Oh, now I'm supposed to, you know, care for this friendship and stuff that I just learned about 30 seconds ago, right? That, <laughs> like, that moment isn't really earned. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of dropped in. And it's a shame because I thought that would have been really cool if their characters were built up a little more, right? Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, when the movie's over, who do you want to learn more about? Neil or the protagonist? And it's like, probably Neil. Yeah, Neil. No, 100%. I don't know who would, why would anybody want to know more about the protagonist? Like, there's no, there's no real draw there. And I think it's a shame because while he does bring the physicality to the role in a way that I definitely do not think Robert Pattinson could, not to say like Robert Pattinson hasn't had his moments in film, but John David Washington was in the NFL for a while. Like he's, he's got physicality. He's got a few more pounds on Pattinson. uh, From what I've read, Pattinson doesn't want to do the training for Batman either. So really, if he's, yeah, there was something about like for during quarantine, he was supposed to be adhering to whatever the, physicality uh training and regiment and things like that to keep up for the batman but he apparently was not uh not into yeah. that yeah robert pattinson's also uh <laughs> very much a, an odd dude <laughs> not like jared leto odd like ooh creepy odd just like wow like what's going on in his head <laughs> i think the action though for the most part definitely succeeds in a way that he never has incorporated his fascination with time into, right? Time has always been the strongest part of the narrative in his movies, and it's never necessarily played out in terms of the action as, as not deliberately, but as um, as overt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, it's always been referred to like the passage of time, the portrayal of time and the different perspectives mm-hmm. that the story is being told from. And I think in terms of Tenet as a pure action movie, I would say it's his probably strongest action that he is shot yeah. i think it's probably got some of the stronger action moments than even something like the batman but mm-hmm. in terms of like the narrative and how much of an emphasis he places on the narrative I it's almost it's like weakest. he it's definitely his yeah, weakest and i think that's very much the weakest and that's what makes it so frustrating it's like it's you just like you don't know how to feel about this movie sometimes like i still am entertained by it but like i'm entertained in it the way i'm entertained by like you know, King Kong, King Kong punching the shit out of someone. Right? It's, it's, it's like I'm supposed to be expecting something a little more out of a Christian Nolan movie, right? Um, and I love the concept and everything. I just wish that there was there was a little more punch to it, right? But um, the action was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that he has definitely crafted some of the best action I've seen in the last few years from action movies, just in ter- or like action sci-fi in terms of taking this unique concept and actually applying it to the way that fight scenes and action plays out. Cause mm-hmm. I mean that turnstile scene, I think, and we can kind of talk a little bit about just like 
how much practical and being in frame really does heighten a lot yeah. of the moments in this film. I mean, that turnstile fight is literally amazing. I think, yeah, in terms so of good. like learning that it's not just finagling with editing or yeah. like playing a lot of actions. They're doing body movements they've never done in their life. <laughs> right. And nobody has ever thought like, hey, let's take a gamble and try this fucking weird thing. But yeah. it's like, it actually pays off. And I mean, his dedication to not using green screen, not using CGI. I yeah. mean, even the 747 plane crash scene, just the fact that they were able to do that all practical, have a real plane, crash it at a real functioning yeah. airport. I mean, I don't think Warner Brothers accounting was too happy about that. Right. <laughs> it speaks to a director that is willing to write out a scene with what like the most heightened version of that scene that could play out and then actually following yep. through with it. Right. It's yeah. not like he wrote it as a 747 and then was like, oh, we could just do like a private little passenger yeah. jet or whatever. Yeah. One thing you can never fall Christopher Nolan is, is that he's never not going to go for it. Right. <laughs> like, cause, you know, sometimes you get some, some falters and obviously you saw that in this movie, but you also see some awesome stuff. Right. And you're, you're never not going to get something that, um, that you're not going to be wowed by in any given Christopher Nolan movie. Right. You just might have some things that you might be like, what? <laughs> you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get one or the other. And I mean you were gonna disagree on this. I know you said Dunkirk wasn't one of your favorite movies, but that's one of my favorite Christopher Nolan movies because I think that it's just the plot like it's just you know what the plot is and the plot never gets in the way and it's just incredible action the whole time. And that's why I think like maybe his next project he goes back to something that is a little more familiar, right? And I know that's a that's a that's a concept not a lot of people wanna wanna think about, right? They want all this high concept stuff and you know, I think he has this this balance of picking projects, right? If he does something more similar to Dunkirk, maybe not like a war movie, but um, I don't know, maybe he goes back to like, you know, a battle of, you know, Thermopylae or something. I don't know, something something like that. I will say though, like for Dunkirk, it wasn't my favorite Nolan movie, but I think that that's a good example, though, of him taking a familiar subject and applying a unique narrative spin on it, right? The yeah. way he told that story that, at the end of the day, is, like, familiar. Yeah. It's told in an engaging, interesting way. Yeah. And it doesn't interfere. That's the big thing, is that the way that that story is told and the use of time, it doesn't interfere with anything that's mm -hmm. happening. And I think he has lost a little bit of his restraint. And, I mean, that's... How can that not happen when you're probably yeah, one of exactly. the top five filmmakers in the world? You're, like you're gonna allow your yeah. concept to run away with you sometimes. Yeah. You're, he's literally the only director on the face of the planet who they just give him unlimited bags of money and just do whatever you want, and we won't check you. I mean, it's get, you're gonna run into falter sometimes. So you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe a little bit restraint next time. I don't either buy a story that's more familiar or a co-writer or something like. I think he just could use a little bit, you know, for a high concept thing like this, you know, he's had them before and they've, you know, you've had hits, you've had misses, not even misses, just not, maybe he started out of the, maybe he started out of the gate too hot, right? And we, we were thinking too much, right? And, you know, same thing with like Interstellar. People think that's, you know, some, it, it has a lot of fans, has some critics, right? But, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, I love seeing this. I'd love him to take risks too, but also maybe something a little more familiar, right? So we can kind of hone in on that so we can see, you know, the Nolan action, Nolan like like cool concepts without the, the plot burning it down because obviously that's not a strong suit. I think if you watch all his movies, you know that character writing and everything is not a strong suit. Yeah, I think also it just it's not even just like I want him to have a more restrained concept. It's just a smaller scale, right? Mm -hmm. I think that he has succeeded and he's made the most um, unique films when the scale has been much smaller. Even yeah. something like Inception, like I would say that that was at that point, that was almost... It only well, involves a know, couple people. Yeah, it only involves <laughs> a couple people, right? It's not sort it's of not like, an end of the world thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that when you have a smaller scale it just makes it all the elements of the film more intimate with one another. And yep. I think that that is in trying to make a espionage film that is very reminiscent of like James Bond and a lot of these spy movies at yeah. its core. 
he loses a lot of that intimacy and he's like, oh, we have to go to India. We have to go to yeah. Estonia. We have to go to Russia. We have to go to like all these all places. Sudden, the world's ending. <laughs> right. and, yeah. And then it's like temporal the world's pincer. ending. And, yeah. <laughs> throw in temporal pincer a couple of times, yeah. but uh, it's kind of just like a very convoluted telling of a traditional story. Whereas Dunkirk, it was a very untraditional telling of something, but it was done so in a way that made something familiar feel unique and feel yeah. exciting. I mean, it's not necessarily a stretch to say like no other, how many other directors could have given us a movie about that same topic and had it been okay, but his ability to sort of like take the narrative spin on it. I mean, that's what makes that movie special. Exactly. I mean, we can have differences about like the action and whatnot, but I, I think it's inarguable that his approach to the storytelling for that topic is what makes that movie a standout from, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of war movies we get every year. Exactly. I mean, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say that while this is not my favorite narrative Nolan movie, it still shows that like he has a lot of these concepts that are intriguing, and it's just about yeah. who he's collaborating with to really bring that to life in a yeah. way that needs to be uh, brought in a little bit, maybe so have mm-hmm. some restraint and kind of seeing where if he's able to learn from that um, yeah. moving forwards. But yeah, I mean, like hey, me and you both had a blast with this movie. I know that. But, you know, are we going to be talking about it 10 years from now like we do Inception, right? Uh, that's, time will tell. Um, I have my thoughts on it, but I'm sure you have yours. But, um, you know, I love this movie um, for what it is, right? Um, sometimes you just kind of going to be like, you can be critical about every part of the movie, but it's a fun mess. And that's the best way I, I explained it. And it is and i still after three rewatches i'll still recommend it to people and just say hey again with the metaphor get on the roller coaster just let it just just ride the roller coaster (laughs) it's a fun spectacle but i think if you try to like analyze too much of its uh its narrative and like the bare bones fundamentals of how all the pieces are working yeah you're almost doing yourself in the movie itself yeah like all these jerks who get on a podcast for an hour to talk about it (laughs) 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 <laughs> this is true Hope, hopefully we've had a uh had we've tried to highlight some of the positives of yeah. it but uh but yeah you know it's one of those movies that it's i wouldn't i wouldn't go either direction in the extreme right it's not yeah. my favorite nolan movie and it's also not the worst movie that i've seen yeah. and so i think if you tell people to approach this movie with their expectations in check you can have a lot of fun yeah. with this movie and you're not lying when you say hey yep. there's stuff in this that you've never seen before yep it's a flawed acid trip. That's what it is. <laughs> I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. But hey, man, I always love having you on to yep. talk. Uh, to talk, we're a little something different than the usual uh, horror movies. But this is yep. definitely uh, definitely had a blast talking about this one. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, I had a blast too. Um, you know, I, I always show out for my boy uh, Nolan. Uh, anytime you ever want to have me back on, I'm more than happy to be back on. Love coming on. Awesome. Looking forward to it, man. All right. Cool. Thanks, Jack. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next time.